0: to the really useful podcast it is the tech podcast for technophobes from make use of my name is christian collie and i'm joined this week by james Frew. hi james how are you doing
1: hey christian yeah i'm all good all good getting settled into the year
0: (laughs) now usually we uh, talk about a myriad of uh, topics this time we are looking almost entirely at bitcoin and crypto coins and what they are what why they're worth so much or in some cases so little and what's special about them? Why are people talking about them? Why do they pop up in your newspaper finance column when you want to know about investing in steel or your pension? Why do they talk about Bitcoin in newspapers? What is it? What's going on? James Frew, as well as being a contributor to make use of, also contributes to Blocks Decoded, a site about crypto. So, James, a lot of this is going to be on you today. Mm-hmm. We're going to break down crypto coins and Bitcoins and make this ideal. For a technophobe okay so let's get started with the basics what is bitcoin
1: so bitcoin is a digital currency it only exists online and it is backed by something called the blockchain and that's what makes bitcoin different to other types of digital currencies that came before it
0: such as paypal or amazon pay or both. yes
1: but the motivation behind bitcoin is something that powers it quite a lot is the main reason that it's talked about a lot and so i think it's probably worth just quickly discussing like what is money and why was there a transition between cash and digital? And what's the difference between the two? There's always been some kind of exchange for goods and services, you know, whether it was people using um, plants or whatever it was thousands of years ago to the money that we have today. And when you go and exchange cash with somebody, you're able to do it in whatever manner you want with no cost to you. And it's about trust between you and the other party. So you hand over the cash and you get something in return, whether it's a good or a service. And that happens, can happen without anyone else's input. I mean, aside from the fact that money is controlled by the government or the central bank or whatever it is, but the actual act of paying for something with your cash is about trust between you and the other party. And you know who the other person is because you're there with them physically. But then when the internet came along, you needed a way of doing these transactions but online so it's digital only and suddenly you're removed from the people that you're doing this transaction with so you don't know anything about them so it could be somebody over the other side of the world that you've never met before but you need to have an element of trust in that relationship in order to transfer the money and that's where payment processors like visa mastercard and now paypal have really come into their own is that they take that and they are the trusted party in your transaction So they insert themselves as a third party so you give the money to somebody visa and mastercard then distribute it to the other person and that's how the transaction is facilitated online but then well just over 10 years ago now we had the massive financial crash of 2007-2008 where the entire financial system almost came down globally and lots of people lost a lot of money and to some people This reflected an imbalance in economic power. So the people that were largely seen as responsible, so banks, reasonably got away with it um, and were able to continue. In many cases, governments bailed them out and taxpayer money went on covering up essentially these mistakes. While some people ended up losing their houses, going into debt, losing their money. So the impact wasn't fairly distributed, I think a lot of people would say. And this led to movements like the Occupy movement, which protested against inequality. Amongst that, there then became an online movement towards digital currencies that weren't controlled by financial institutions like Visa, MasterCard, and the big banks. And that's kind of how we, we then lead into what Bitcoin is. I think the having an understanding of where it came from, I think, really helps to understand what it is and why you might want to use it.
0: Okay. I remember a few years ago, I was in London, 2011, 2012, probably, and uh, I was wandering around St. Paul's, and there was a lot of the Occupy thing going on still then. Yeah. It's interesting to, like, everyone, like, the whole atmosphere was kind of a mix of sombre and celebratory, but it's interesting to feel that that is a kind of a nexus point for what's happened since and not just in terms of how governments have reacted and how wider supranational governments have reacted to what happened but also how technology has reacted yeah in, in terms of cryptocurrency so just to side before we go into more the, the deeper stuff again why does bitcoin if it's so kind of techie why that, that very kind of technological aspect to it that you know This is a really useful podcast. It's the tech podcast for technophobes. I barely understand cryptocurrency beyond pretty much what you've just said. So why is it in newspapers? Why are papers talking about crypto?
1: Mostly this happened because, so part of the reason for this is that the way that Bitcoin is created is not through a central bank or through a government. It's through something called mining. And mining is where computers do complex transactions, multiples of them, in order to generate a new Bitcoin. And this process gets harder as more Bitcoins are generated. So it exponentially drops down growth as more people come to do this and more Bitcoin are generated. It then becomes harder. And this is done to purposefully limit the amount of Bitcoin there is. And because of that, it can drive prices higher. And so when there's only a limited supply of something and more people want it, it drives prices up and up and up. There's also a case to be made that one of the reasons that the price kept driving up was because people it's an unregulated product an unregulated market. And although governments are now trying to catch up with that, by and large, some of the same interesting financial tricks that used to be used in in regular financial markets in sort of the 70s and 80s are now playing out in the crypto markets as well. So around 2017, there was a huge ramp up in price. Where Bitcoin was just worth more than it had ever been. It's sure hundreds of percent increase. And suddenly that became a worthwhile investment for a lot of people with people going, this could be a really quick way to get a lot of money. I mean, I don't really understand what it is, but everyone's telling me it's a good investment and that I should put my money in. And as that was then a self-fulfilling circle where more people spoke about it, more people put their money in. So the price went up and so on. And that's kind of how Bitcoin became went from a kind of fringe techie idea into something that's in the mainstream now.
0: So, so with all that, and you know, we, we, we know why it appears in newspapers, we've got an idea of why it's being created, and we are talking generally about crypto coin, although we'll probably talk about Bitcoin as more of a kind of catch-all term. What is it? So as we said at the beginning, it's a
1: digital currency, and it wasn't the first digital currency either. There's been plenty of digital currencies in the past, But the thing that they struggled with is this problem called double spend. Now, if you remove the trusted party like Visa, MasterCard, you have no one to say this transaction is legitimate and has happened. And both parties have enough funds in order to complete it. So what was happening with past digital currencies is that I could say, I'm going to give you X amount of something and I spend it, I give it to you. But then because it's a code or whatever it is it's a digital thing i could make a copy of it and then go and do the same to somebody else and so suddenly the money doesn't really exist anymore because it's being spent multiple times and there's no one to verify whether that's the case or not and so you end up in a situation where people are actually just losing money or giving over goods and services for something that they can't and redeem and so bitcoin overcomes that by using something called the blockchain and that was the really revolutionary part of, of the whole um, technology, really. And blockchain is formed on a peer-to-peer network. So these are things that people may be familiar with from things like torrents um, in the early 2000s. So what you do is you get a big network of computers together. Say so you're all going to run this thing and we're going to share it amongst all of you. So, The most famous example of this was um, torrenting films. So although this is illegal, many people did do it. And what it did was, you'd have a file on your computer, you'd then upload it to the torrent, and the torrent would then be shared amongst many people that wanted to download this film. And as more people downloaded the torrent, your copy of the file would then be spread across all of those computers. And so it made it faster and easier for people to access. And it also improved the speed of downloads and meant that everybody got what they were looking for from one source and peer-to-peer networks have lots of uses, but that was the sort of, uh, most famous example, I'd guess. Yeah.
0: And peer-to-peer networks are legal, of course. Yes. Yes. And they were I mean, you, you, we're using one now whilst, uh, I, I think that's how it, I'll just still work like that Skype. I forget, but, um, Microsoft updates, uh, use peer-to-peer networks, yes, they do. All, all sorts of things that using on the computer uses peer-to-peer technology. So that in itself, isn't illegal but some uses such as sharing files are illegal yes okay do continue
1: and so blockchain is a peer-to-peer network um so the most common way you've probably heard it referred to is a distributed ledger and this kind of refers back to when accounting was done by paper you know Mm -hmm. you'd have a ledger showing all the different transactions that were done in a day and that is effectively what the blockchain is but instead of just you having access to it, or one party or a centralized institution like a bank having access to it, it's shared amongst every single computer on this peer-to-peer network. So everybody has a copy of which transactions have been done and when. And that's really important because it, it builds the element of trust back into digital currencies. And because the blockchain is shared everywhere, it can't be changed. And if someone does try and change it, well, the rest of the network goes, hang on, that's not right. And removes that that link, so it's a useful way of making sure that transactions are verified, that they that there's always a trail behind them, and also improves trust because everyone can view the blockchain. So you can see what's happened with it. You can make sure that a particular Bitcoin hasn't been double spent. You can go and look up a Bitcoin address, which is you know in other words the Bitcoin, and um, you can see exactly where it's been in the past, w- what transactions it's been involved with, and all those kind of things. And the blockchain is basically what led to Bitcoin becoming a successful digital currency in the way that no other had
0: before. Okay, so you you, meant you say no other had before, and there's obviously other cryptocurrencies. Why, why do you think there are so many? Is it, well, is it, is it narcissism? Is it like opportunities opportunity to do something different with what Bitcoin does, or is it because Bitcoin's just so expensive?
1: It's mostly about doing something different, and it kind of relates back to the sort of, um the political leanings of bitcoin itself so bitcoin was proposed in a white paper by somebody called satoshi nakamoto and we don't actually know who he she they are Um, but they had a particular way of looking at the world like i said it was very heavily influenced by an anti-authoritarian swing And it said, this is the way that I see the world. And these are the things I think we should do in order to create a new kind of economy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they were the most technical people. It doesn't mean that they had the best solution, but they did come up with something extraordinarily revolutionary in the blockchain. But Bitcoin has a number of ways that it works, like limiting the amount of Bitcoin that can be mined. And so prices go up. That's obviously, in some cases, that's not a positive. Then there are also things like to mine a Bitcoin takes quite a long time and processing transactions takes a long time, too. And as more things are put onto the network. The transaction time, it actually slows down rather than speeding up. And so what you've ended up with is people wanting to pull Bitcoin more into the mainstream. But going, we can't compete with the speed of, say, Visa and MasterCard. You know, when you go to pay with something with your card, it takes seconds, if that, maybe fractions of a second to authorize the transaction and to make the payment. On Bitcoin, if you're trying to do a transaction, it could take up to five, maybe 10 minutes, depending on the, the um, speed of the blockchain. And so you've ended up in a position where because there's no government controlling it, lots of people have lots of ideas about what they might like to do. And blockchain is open source. So that means anyone can view the code, anyone can copy it and then go and fork it to create something completely new. And that's what's happened. So there are now cryptocurrencies that are offshoots of Bitcoin. So there's Bitcoin Cash and a couple of other ones that are very similar to Bitcoin, but aim to do things slightly differently. But then there are some that have taken the blockchain and used it to make something entirely different. Like there's one called Ethereum, which is probably the second most popular um, cryptocurrency. And that's used predominantly to create apps on top of the blockchain. And so there's lots of different uses for these things, but because they're quite easy to set up and cheap, many people do them. So you end up in a position where there is a huge flood of cryptocurrencies. Some of them are good, some of them are not. Um, But yeah, that's why there are so many of them out there now. Okay.
0: I um, found myself more or less winning some basic attention tokens Mm -hmm. a few months ago, which is the, the Brave browsers. Yes. Thing. Um, and I'm I'm just checking the price of it now, and it's the same, well, based on Coinbase, it's a penny different to XRP, which is another mm-hmm. kind of newish cryptocurrency. I say there's different approaches for this and the the, the, the the bat one, basic attention to it, is quite interesting, isn't it? Because that's been developed as a kind of economy for website owners, hasn't it?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brave browser is based on Chromium, which is, you know, the open source part of Google's Chrome browser. But the main differentiation between that and Chrome is that it has this basic attention token built in and It's a cryptocurrency that aims to allow you to fund websites without having to have ads trace you around the internet. So it's meant to be good for privacy, but also gets around the problem of people bluntly turning on ad blockers and depriving websites of their ad revenue. Because although, you know, I'm sure both of us feel the the same desire that we don't want to be tracked around the internet, you know, both of us are quite heavily into security and privacy. But at the same time, we write for an online website, which is reliant on ad revenue in order to you know pay us and to keep the website operational so people have been looking for an answer to this and brave thinks if they reward people's attention for basically looking at ads with this token um and then you can decide how to distribute your amount of the token to the websites basically as payment
0: i like the idea of it and i've got 57 pounds worth of bat i've never Mm -hmm. used it yet that's
1: the thing (laughs) um well the the tricky thing about this is that it because it kind of relies on everyone adopting it which yeah. i don't necessarily believe will will ever happen so i could earn lots of bat you could sit there and use the brave browser and accrue loads of this currency but you can't actually take it out of the system at the moment so it just sits there in your bat wallet which is part of the browser um And if you want to distribute it to a website, they have to have opted in to take the token. And if the website doesn't opt in, then you can't pay them. Um, So it means that only people that are kind of interested in this area have already opted in. And unless you get wide scale adoption of it, it's not really going to make a tremendous impact in the world.
0: Recalling the time when I signed up to that, I tried to get my, um, my podcast homepage in. And I think they were limiting signups to North America only as well.
1: Right. Okay.
0: So I don't know if that's changed. Uh, Let's move on then. So we've we've talked about how Bitcoin works in terms of the blockchain and all the computers that are involved. Does this make it secure and anonymous?
1: It does, but it doesn't necessarily make it private. So I think it's worth looking at the distinction between the two. Mm -hmm. So... Privacy means basically that you can keep your data private. It's only for you and whoever you trust to see it with. And so you see things like that happening with you know, uh, your bank details, for example. You probably wouldn't tell everyone, oh, I have this amount of money in my bank, and this is my account number, and these are the kind of transactions I do, this is how much I spend. That's private data. But your bank may go, hmm, we think this could be really useful data, so we'll strip away your name, address, and email, number, email address, and that's anonymous data. So it doesn't identify it to you, but it's private data. So it's anonymous, but private. Um, and the blockchain is anonymous in that it doesn't say, James Frew or Christian Corley made this transaction, but it does say, here is the transaction that took place. These are the two wallet addresses that it went between, and this is the Bitcoin number. And because anyone can view it, it isn't private, but it is anonymous or pseudo anonymous. And the reason I say pseudo anonymous is because in theory, you can use a blockchain explorer to view which transactions a wallet has made, where where the money has gone before and after. So you can actually try and work out and identify people. But in theory, it is anonymous.
0: You can buy something secure and anonymous with Bitcoin. So, presume we see this on TV shows where things have been bought on the dark web and it's untraceable. Is mm-hmm. Bitcoin what has been used to buy things that untraceably?
1: Ultimately, yes, there are some people using Bitcoin for that, but it's not exclusively meant to be for that. Sure. But just in the same way that I could go out, go to a bank and get out 100 pounds and I could go and spend that in whatever way I want, I could do illegal things with it and no one would know. Um, and it's the same thing online too. Most people aren't doing that, but there is an avenue that people who want to do that can. But as I said, it's not actually as anonymous or private as people believe it to be, which means that if you do those kind of criminal activities online and you attract the interest of the law enforcement agencies, they are likely to be able to identify you through tracking your various transactions, working out email addresses, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So people use it for that. But I wouldn't necessarily say that it's, one, a good idea, and two, it's not a unique problem to digital currencies. But it gets widely reported because, you know, these things have changed quite rapidly. And because it's online, people can see these things happening, whereas, you know, illegal cash transactions happen without anyone's knowledge because there's nobody else involved. So it's much easier for this stuff to become public.
0: Okay. All right, well, we're going to move towards wrapping this up. there is a kind of interesting aspect to this. We're talking about, essentially, we're talking about currency, we're talking about money. So how, how, how do you earn Bitcoins and how do you spend them?
1: So what you need to do if you want to earn them is you would download the Bitcoin software and that enables mining on your computer. And like I said, mining involves doing multiple transact. Mining involves doing multiple calculations on your computer And then the more of them you do the more likely you are to earn or mine a new bitcoin and that's the way that you earn them but the difficulty with that is we've now reached the point in bitcoin mining where only people with super powered computers and lots of electricity can afford to do this and it's part of the reason that people have created bitcoin split offs and you know forks is that you've now In order to mine Bitcoin, you need to have a huge server enormous computer farms, like tons of people working on it just to earn Bitcoin. So it's not very scalable. Um, What was the second part of that? Oh, uh, mining and then. Yeah. So once you've earned a Bitcoin or you've bought some, uh, you then store in something called a cryptocurrency wallet. And there are multiples of these. There's lots of different types, but essentially it comes down to. There are two major types called cold and hot wallets. A cold wallet is something that stores your cryptocurrency offline. So it takes all your keys and you put it in a USB key or something like that. And it's stored off the internet. And that means that if anything, if a site were to be hacked or anything like that, your Bitcoin or cryptocurrency is still safe. The downside to cold storage is that if you lose it, if you destroy it, if you as has been the case in some places, uh, if you pass on, um, people can't access it anymore and then it is just gone. So all that Bitcoin, all that wealth is gone. The other option is hot storage, which is where you may have heard of websites like Coinbase, which is probably the most famous cryptocurrency exchange. Um, They kind of offer a bank style service to buying cryptocurrency. So you create an account, you sign up, you say, this is who I am. Um, for money laundering purposes and sorry, I should say money laundering prevention purposes. And they then facilitate the payment between your local currency and buying a cryptocurrency. And then they store it on their service for you. That is obviously a lot easier than having a cold storage and has fewer permanent risks. But there is always the risk that the exchange would be hacked. And if that were to happen, someone walks away with all your Bitcoin. Um, So there's downsides to both. And this is one of the, I would say, major points of contention in the cryptocurrency area about mainstream adoption is a bank is safe and secure. And there are safeguards in place that say, if anything were to happen to the bank, you will get your money back. And governments facilitate that and provide backing. But there is no such thing as that with cryptocurrency. You know, you're very much at risk all of the time and you are in control and full responsibility and there's a lot higher potential for you to lose all your money if something were to go wrong
0: okay i remember many many years ago when i was uh, employed by a software company software support for the customers and some of our colleagues they were they were buying bitcoin when it was worth pennies less mm-hmm. than pennies you know when it f- yeah. first launched you know over 10 years ago and i, rem- I remember thinking at the time bit of a waste of money. Then about three or four years later, and it's worth, you know, like five, six, seven, eight pounds, $10 or so, whatever. Uh, and I remember thinking, oh, that's gone up a bit. Uh, now it's a bit... Too- I don't think I'll bother now because it's too expensive to buy any kind of significant amount of it. And now, obviously, mm-hmm. it's worth a $10,000 area. Yeah. And it, it just feels like... And if, if you're like me and you didn't pursue any of this... When it first launched, there's this kind of feeling of frustration which might Might make you want to sort of get involved with a different cryptocurrency now
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but there's no obviously there's no way of knowing what's going to happen and there's there's no guarantee in fact there's There's barely a promise that a different crypto is going to do exactly the same as what Bitcoin's done is it?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Bitcoin went from basically worth nothing Um, to the peak. At the end of 2017, it was worth nearly $20,000 per Bitcoin. So obviously, you know, people see that and think, wow, if I could get in on that, then maybe I could make some money. And of course, it seems like the natural thing to want to do. I mean, that is what speculative investing is. That's why people do it. But it does come with enormous risks. And the The difficulty with cryptocurrency is because it's not regulated, there are no safeguards in place. And so if you were doing regular stocks trades, there would be people that are meant to advise you to tell you the risks. There are things in place to make sure that you don't get bad advice and that you may be protected so that you are aware of what the risks are and whether it's a good investment or not. You know, you have advisors that tell you, oh, it might be worth investing in this because this and this and this. Um, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are a lot more volatile. Their price jumps all over the place. There are people probably manipulating the market and the price. So dumping lots of Bitcoin or buying lots of Bitcoin to change the price intentionally. Um, And so it may happen with other cryptocurrencies, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you should be putting all of your money into it. You know, it's very much at your own risk. And you should never put more money in than you would feel comfortable losing because there is always the chance that you will lose all your money. You know, if you put your money in at the end of 2017 when it was worth nearly $15,000, so let's say you bought a Bitcoin at $15,000, by the early 2019 it was worth less than $5,000. I mean, that's an enormous amount of money to have lost based on speculation. So you should only put in money if you were going to, and this isn't financial or investment advice. But just as a general rule, you should never put in more than you would be comfortable losing. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So uh, there are various places where you can spend Bitcoin, of course, isn't there? And as, as I said, some of them are legal. Some of them are illegal. You can, for instance, if you were interested in, you know, we've alluded to this earlier, if you wanted to protect your activity online with a VPN, you can pay for VPNs with Bitcoin, can't you?
1: Yeah, many VPNs do accept Bitcoin because it is seen as a more private, but not properly private, but also anonymous way to pay. And if you're investing in the VPN, you are probably concerned about privacy and the security of the data and things like that. And so it's likely that you will also be unwilling to necessarily share with governments or banks or other financial institutions that these are the kind of services that you're buying. So it kind of works from that perspective. but. There are loads of other ways you can spend your bitcoin too some of them are focused in the privacy area so you know services or um websites and all that kind of stuff and even some marketplaces have cropped up just for goods so kind of like an ebay or a craigslist but you know you trade through through your your cryptocurrency so i think there's one called haven which has a, a mobile app where you can you know pay for things in crypto it's basically just You know, some people put up there. it's a bit like Etsy. I'd say it's probably closest to Etsy where you can put up creative things and you can buy and sell them with crypto. Um, But then there are also things called crypto ATMs, which allow you to convert your money from the blockchain and, and your cryptocurrency into, you know, cash effectively. And there are some of those sort of scattered around the world. Um, there's one not far from me, actually. I haven't used it. I've gone and looked at it, but I haven't used it. Um, oh, so this is a yes.
0: physical unit? This is a
1: physical unit, yeah. Right, Just like okay. you would go to an ATM at your bank yeah. uh, to withdraw money. Uh, this is a way of making it so that you can withdraw your Bitcoin into local currency okay, or you know, other cryptocurrencies.
0: Yeah. yeah. So hopefully you've reached this point of this week's really useful podcast about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and have a better idea, if not a clearer understanding of what Bitcoin is how you can get it, why it's worth so much, how it can be earned and spent. If you have any questions, as ever, let us know, either messages on Twitter or comments on Make Use Of under this podcast. And uh, we'll be back next week for a completely different, really useful podcast. Until then, from James Frew and myself, it is goodbye.